Better podcast. I'm Russell Adler, your host. The purpose of this podcast is to showcase great lawyers, established lawyers, prominent lawyers, and up-and-coming lawyers, and to delve into their strategy, tactics, and mindset so you can build a better and more successful and more lucrative practice. Today's guest is Joe Camerlingo from the Truck Accident Law Firm, a nationally prominent boutique firm specializing in truck accidents and truck accidents only. Now, by way of disclosure, Joe is a double gator. He went to University of Florida undergrad and University of Florida law school. Uh, I went to undergrad at University of Florida. I couldn't get into the law school there, so I went <laughs> elsewhere. Um, so some of you might have strong feelings about the Gators, Seminoles, and whatever, but uh, we're not here to talk about college or college football, so I just wanted uh, to get that out of the way. Joe is um, also a national uh, speaker on uh, truck litigation and truck accident cases, and he's the host of the podcast Joe Knows Trucks. And with that, introducing uh, Joe Camerlingo. Joe, how are you doing today? Thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm doing great, Ross. Thank you for that very kind introduction. Okay. And where does this podcast find you today? I'm actually just in my office in Jacksonville, Florida at the home base right now. One right. of the few days this year. <laughs> All right. So you guys have two offices, one in Atlanta and one in Jacksonville, but you uh, work on trucking cases nationally. Is that correct? Yeah, we go all over the country handling these cases as co-counsel. Yes, sir. You know, before we get into it, I just wanted to share my own very limited experience when I practiced with trucking cases. Not sure if I got any of them right in hindsight. But my first one was something that happened uh, on the Turnpike Extension uh, down between Miami and the Keys. And a trailer got loose from a truck, and um, it was full of dead alligators. Uh, trappers were bringing back their load of alligators, and there were alligators scattered all over the highway. So I thought it was going to be a really interesting and exciting um, a case to handle until I found out that there was no insurance. And so I worked out a barter deal with the guy who owned the alligator company, and I ended up with um, some beautiful alligator accessories, shoes, wallets. He even wrapped a suitcase in alligator skin for me, and I asked him if he could create like a wetsuit that I could wear out of alligator skin so if I ran into an alligator, they would think I'm another alligator. Uh, <laughs> that didn't work out, but I did have fond memories, and the lesson I learned was... Uh, sometimes let the experts handle these things. So I understand that, um, well, now I know you, you do exclusively trucking cases, but I know you started out as a surfer. So can you give us a little <laughs> bit of background and tell us how you went from being a surfer to being a nationally prominent trucking lawyer? Well, it's funny. Uh, I went to UF. Um, I was a big surfer. We grew up in Ponce Inlet. So when we moved down from New York, we lived in South Florida and Palm Beach area for about a year or two. And then we moved to Ponce Inlet. And so I grew up surfing. I thought it was the coolest thing. We would surf almost every day before school, after school, weekends, and wound up getting a scholarship. Um, I was never the best surfer in the water, Russ, but I was out working most of them. So, and you know, while while we were out there in a free session, somebody could do better tricks than me and all that stuff. But in a in an actual heat for 15 or 30 or 45 minutes, I was out paddling them, out hustling, out working them for the best waves, you know, riding for the the most moves for the longest. I knew what the judges wanted. Uh, and so uh, I was able to get a scholarship and was captain of the UF surf team one year. It was a lot of fun. And how has that translated into surfing uh, the waves of litigation in trucking cases like this with uh, sharks swimming around you, other types of <laughs> sharks? 
Well, I think the what you what you heard there is there's a lot of surfers. I was out working them, and that's exactly what we do. Um, there may be lawyers that are smarter than me out there, but there's no one that's working harder than we are when it comes to preparing these cases. Okay. Now, let's just talk about truck accidents, truck crashes, generally speaking. Uh, how many truck crashes a year involving large trucks or buses uh, and things like that are there in the United States on average? Oh, there's almost 300,000 crashes involving uh, commercial motor vehicles, over 160,000 injury wrecks, uh, and over 5,000 fatal crashes every year. And doing my own research, I, I found something that says as of 2021, there had been a 49% increase in large truck accidents over the past 10 years. So my question is, you know, on one hand, even though we're able to now send rovers to drive around on Mars, why can't we make trucks and trucking safer? Why, why is that on the increase? And is it still? Well, absolutely. The trend is scary. We, you know, there was a time frame in 07, 08, where the numbers went down a little bit when the economy kind of went down. And then after that, it's just been going up every year. And there's a lot of things that go into that, right? One is the number of trucks on the road, uh, Amazons of the world. Walmart now has their own trucking fleet. And so the number of actual tractor trailers on the road has increased exponentially. Uh, the industry will tell you that per miles driven, those are great statistics. Uh, 5,000 fatal crashes, by the way, that's just a crash. And most of those crashes or many of those crashes, multiple people die. So that's not 5,000 deaths. The number of deaths is actually much higher than that. Um, those crashes continue to increase. The technology that's out there, some of it is great, but many of it leads to more distractions, e-logs, um, tablet devices, things that the truck drivers can do in the vehicle other than paying attention to the roadway ahead. Yeah, like texting, right? Yes, absolutely. We see it all the time. Yeah. We've all seen you drive by a tractor trailer and there's a, you know, the, the guy or girl driving the truck's got their phone up and they're freaking texting or watching a show, et cetera. In fact, and of I've, course, passenger vehicles do it too, right? Yeah, but I've seen, I know a lot of these trucks have dash cams in them, and I've seen at least one dash cam video taken for a night crash. And in the video, you can actually see the reflection of the guy, the driver's cell phone, and he's like texting as he's driving, and you can see that on the screen. Is that a fairly common thing that you see? Oh, yeah. In fact, I think that's my case, Russ. We have uh, in a presentation I think you saw me do. I've, I actually have two of those cases right now. It's funny. The defense lawyer will only voluntarily give you the dash cam footage or the trucking company if they think it helps their case. Um, in both of those cases, they volunteered the dash camera to us thinking it helped them. Uh, and then we could see in the reflection of the windshield, because it was only a forward-facing dash camera, the guy's hand on the phone and he's scrolling up and down. You see him actually looking at the phone. You can see the face of the phone changing and it being used as they drive right into traffic. I think you call that multitasking, but the problem is that this person is not just driving a car. That's dangerous enough. This you guy's driving reckless endangerment. Yeah, a big a big truck. And uh, I, I know that there are other laws and regulations we're going to get into that govern trucking uh, versus just regular uh, vehicles. But is it generally true that, uh, you know, a crash between two motor vehicles might have one value, but the same crash with the same even the same injuries involving a truck might have quite a different value? Can you just explain that overall for our listeners? Absolutely. And I say all the time. It, whatever injuries you have in a car crash case, it's worth three times as much in a, in a trucking case because 
the, the, the force equals mass times acceleration. So the force that's involved in that impact is significantly greater. Uh, and so the injuries are definitely usually going to be larger. Juries will award more money against the trucking company. They will against, you know, mom and pop or just a, a mother or father driving a car uh, that, that caused the same wreck. And so the level of injuries often is higher. But also, if you can prove the aggravated liability, right, for the same injury, if the truck driver was over hours, on the phone, uh, running late, distracted, whatever it is, uh, fatigued, um, those are things that can increase the value of the case. And what about the fatigue factor generally? You know, my understanding uh, is that one of the reasons there was a shortage of truck drivers is because it's so tough. There's so many demands, and fatigue plays such a big role in causing these crashes. Is that accurate? 100% accurate. It's the, um, the number one or two most significant concern in the industry every year has to do with um, cell phone distraction and then fatigue. They're usually in the top three um, every year of what the industry says that they're most concerned about. And here's why. You don't have to be over hours to be fatigued. If a trucking company has a driver driving through the night, through the night, by day, by day, through the night, by day, and they're never getting a chance to settle into their circadian rhythms, then you could you could have plenty of hours of um, on-duty time left and plenty of hours of driving left because it's 14 hours max on duty, 11 hours drive time with a break, 30-minute um, break in, within eight hours. So you can still have plenty of hours left and be fatigued. And the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Regulations say you cannot drive a tractor trailer if you're fatigued or ill, regardless of whether you have hours left to drive under your maximum on-duty hours. Now, interestingly, I saw another statistic that says that um, in the majority of these truck crash cases, it's actually not the driver's fault. That uh, At least what I read was 90.6% of truck drivers involved in fatal crashes did not even receive a moving violation. So what's the story with that? Well, um, can I say horse shit on the air? <laughs> well, you just did, and that's okay. <laughs> so, so here's the deal. Not all these cases are the truck driver's fault. That's true. Very often, however, they're not cited. And here, I mean, it's, it's, it's the biggest problem out there. The, the crash happens. Our client is killed, right? The decedent, the, the, the family that hires us, their loved one is dead. The only version of the events that the, the police are getting is what the officer tells them at the scene. They're not doing a full investigation like we do. And even when there is a traffic homicide investigation, oftentimes they're just looking at the root cause what initially put the vehicle there, what may have happened. They're not looking at the trucking standards about what's reasonable for a professional truck driver. That's different than what's reasonable for you or I driving our passenger vehicle. What's reasonable driving an 80,000 pound tractor trailer is different standards and the federal motor carrier safety regulations apply, right? So the, the police that are investigating this, first of all, they don't wanna give a, a truck driver a ticket unless there's drugs, alcohol, over hours, cell phone, those type of things, because they're worried about taking away their livelihood. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that they're not cited, but those statistics are so skewed by the industry, it's, it's, um, it's simply not accurate. And the vast majority of crashes that they're including are the property damage crashes, not the injury and fatality crashes. Right, the property crashes, like the one with the alligators all over the road, I explained. Right, right. I mean, the tough and part. And why it's called Alligator Alley now. <laughs> <laughs> Different roadway, but uh, 
It's an alligator highway for sure. At least it was on that day, you know. So, Joe, on your website, it says, and I quote, you don't want a car crash lawyer on a truck case. So generally speaking, can you tell our listeners why that's the case and and also how important it is to do investigation as soon as a call comes in on a potential case, as opposed to waiting several months or just not spending the money to do an investigation as some lawyers, um, that's how some lawyers do it. Yeah, having a board certified trucking attorney makes such a difference in these cases, Russ. Literally, in about 85 to 90 percent of the cases, we can find more liable parties or more coverage to get above that million dollar limit that other people are. A lot of these lawyers that advertise for trucking. Yeah, they may handle thousands of trucking cases, but they're settling settling them at or under the million dollars. And in the catastrophic trucking case, they're, you know, telling the client there's only a million having the boohoo meeting with them and then going out to celebrate dinner because they just made a $400,000 fee in three months not realizing they're committing malpractice because there was trailer coverage. There was a broker shipper potential. There was a hidden motor carrier, and they didn't know to do the investigation early enough to get that information, right? We don't settle those cases for that initial money. We don't even consider settling in the beginning. We have the vast majority of our cases, they're offering the million right away. And we say to them, this family hired us to do three things. One, to tell them exactly what happened and who was responsible. Two, to find out all potential assets and avenues of insurance for them. And then three, to get justice. And along the way, hopefully we can make it so this doesn't happen to anybody anybody else's family. So you you shouldn't even be talking about settling for the million unless you know, is there trailer coverage? Is there a hidden motor carrier? To do that, you've got to get the documents early and you have to send the key preservation letters early. Right. And just from hearing your answer, there's obviously a lot of terminology involved that is unique to trucking. It's almost like a different language. You know, I heard this term deadheading, and I, I thought it was like going to a Grateful Dead concert. But <laughs> that's a term of art in trucking cases, uh, among others. Um, and is that why you say that you don't want a car crash lawyer on a truck ca- crash case because of the complexities involved and the fact that, you know, if a, if a tractor trailer runs into a car... Um, some lawyers might just think, okay, well, I can sue the driver uh, and I can sue the owner. Uh, and that's it. So is that, are we on to something there? Uh, 100%. I can give you dozens and dozens of examples that we've handled throughout the years. But the biggest thing to understand, you know, these, these volume average, these people advertising for trucking, if you've got a soft tissue injury, a bump at a red light, they're probably fine for that. If you have a catastrophic injury, a death, paraplegia, surgeries, you know, traumatic brain injuries, uh, burns, those cases need experienced board certified trucking lawyers. There's only, I think, 50 or 60 in the entire country that have been certified by the National Board of Trial Advocates through the American Bar Association to claim and to, to be vetted to have both the experience and the knowledge to handle these trucking cases. But we have cases all the time where there's a million dollars in coverage we ask for the trailer coverage, Russ. The vast majority of lawyers never ask for the trailer coverage because they think in order to get to the coverage on the trailer attached to the tractor that you got to prove the trailer contributed to the crash. Bad brakes, bro- you know, broken kingpin, something related to the trailer. It's simply not the case. In almost all of these cases, the trailer has separate insurance coverage with permissive use language like you loaned me your car. 
So when the truck driver hooks up to that trailer and drives away with the permission of the trailer owner, the truck driver is covered not just by the truck driver's insurance and the trucking company, but by the trailer coverage as well. One other interesting factoid before we get in a little deeper into um, the nuances of truck accident cases, um, the highest risk age group for these large truck drivers is 16 to 19 years old. First of all, isn't that true of, of all automobile, you know, vehicle drivers in general? And well, I think know, that's. Go ahead, sir. No, and, and but what about with trucks? I mean, I didn't even think that they'd allow a 16-year-old with a driver's license to get behind the wheel of a truck. Well, they don't. Um, you, in order to drive over 26,000 pounds and to have a Class A CDL, you still have to be 21. There is a pilot program now for 18, and you can get it a little early if you drove trucks in the military and have a military CDL license. So there are some ways to get it under 21 for the large vehicles, but for the smaller commercial vehicles, you're right, just have to have an operator's license. So you're taking the highest risk. Um, you know, the 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 studies show that men don't develop our full frontal cortex until age 25, which is why your insurance rates go down at age 25, allegedly, as long as you have a decent driving record. And so the part that doesn't get developed is the judgment and risk, uh, risk reward systems. Those are why, you know, young men, teenagers take more risk than as you get older and, and then, than females in general. And so to put those highest risk drivers behind the wheel of up to 80,000 pound tractor trailers is frightening. It is. Um, and, and in fact, you know, every time I'm on I-95 and I drive past a tractor trailer, I think of you for yeah. better or for worse. And, and all the warnings, one of the videos on your website is um, to, to watch out for blowouts on trucks when you're driving past them on the highway. I find that quite terrifying because, you know, I mean, you actually went to the extent of making a video about that. Can you tell us what percentage of, of these truck crashes involve blowouts or equipment failures that cause sudden and probably unavoidable crashes? Well, I don't know that I can give you the percentage because it varies year to year. What I can tell you is it happens hundreds of times every day in the United States, if not thousands of times, not just tire blowouts, but tires coming off and going down the highway, these big, huge tractor trailer tires going down the highway. You know, usually they go off into the woods is why you don't hear about it all the time. But when they do come across and hit vehicles head on, it cuts the vehicle in half and usually kills everybody involved. Um, but the tire blowouts, you see those what people call gators, ironically, after your your uh, case example earlier, Russ. But you see those big tire treads. A lot of tractor trailers use retreads. It's actually permitted for them to use retreads. And if they do a cheap retread, they blow out all the time on the highway. And I don't know if you've ever been around one, but the first time it ever happened was pretty far away from me. And it literally sounded like a gun went off. And, you know, you see people, you, there's smoke, there's a big explosion, stuff hits your car. And what you see, unfortunately, the truck driver doesn't even feel that, basically. He or she's just driving along, but the vehicles next to them, they panic. And so a tire will, will blow up like that. And the next thing you know, the car driver will yank the wheel left to right and go either into head-on traffic, off into the woods, or cause a crash. So you really have to, as you're passing a truck or you're near a truck, both hands on the wheel and just assume that that is coming and get and prepare yourself for that. Another thing that caught my eye is your analogy that trucking cases are like icebergs. So again, it's, it's not just necessarily the driver or the owner 
of that vehicle, as is the case with private vehicles, but it's quite different uh, with trucking. So in answering that, aside from what you've already told us, could you just give our listeners the idea of the levels and layers of complexities uh, that are involved? They say the devil is in the details. I think this is the perfect uh, case for that. Yeah, I actually have a, a graphic here that if you can see that we can send to you on the iceberg and all the different things that that um, go into these cases, right? So above the surface, any any lawyer can see, any good PI lawyer can see a tractor, a trailer, a driver, and a motor carrier. So it's more coverage in a big wreck. But it's all the complexities of those cases that are below the surface that you have to know where to look. That's the below the surface analogy in order to get to those additional coverages. I can give you dozens of examples from the, the family of six hit head on uh, six-week-old baby died, five people injured, all kinds of horribleness, um, one million in coverage offered within a week of the crash. The, we insisted on getting the trailer coverage, insisted. They were like, no, the trailer didn't you know, uh, contribute to the crash, whatever. We finally get the trailer coverage, 228 million in coverage. Every one of them are permissive use policy. We made the truck driver permissive user of the trailer. So if we had settled with the truck driver for the million and, and said, okay, we still preserve our claims against everyone else, we would have been giving up on $228 million in coverage for this family. Um, that's just one example. Vessel operating common carriers, the shipping company, if it's a container on a chassis, those type of vehicles, typically whatever ship brought that into the U.S., they have a contract that says they're going to be responsible for the freight from pickup to delivery. And so you can get the all the way back to the shipping company, not just the trucking company that's driving it. You get the shipping company and their local agents. We've had that before where we've gotten millions and millions of dollars on top of the trucking company's million or two by going to the vessel operating common carrier, meaning the ship that brought it across the ocean. Uh, and then there's beyond just getting to the, the different coverages that we can find, the broker, the shipper, the hidden motor carrier. Those are all really, really specific, tricky, got to know trucking type um, cases. There's another example I can give you where we just knowing the standards applicable to a professional truck driver versus a car car, a car crash lawyer make a big difference. And Russ, I think I told you about this one. We had a case where two volume advertising personal injury firms had zero offers. She had just taken out a light pole, was standing in the darkness of the light pole, got run over by a tractor trailer and killed. Horrible, horrible case, horrible for the family. So two PI lawyers get that that advertise. No offer, police find her at fault, nothing the truck driver could have done, zero offer withdraw, zero offer withdraw. They go to the family goes to a third lawyer who has a $70,000 offer on the table. Um, that lawyer sees me speak at the FJA about on truck driver duties beyond are different than car wreck driver duties. Um, it gets me involved in the case. We settled that case for $10 million. Now we didn't have to go find broker, shipper, or or um trailer coverage, the trucking company had $26 million in coverage, right? So they had plenty of coverage there. We were able to get $10 million in that case um, because of the way that we know a truck driver who's driving um, and doesn't see a passenger in the roadway, didn't see her car on the side of the roadway until it was too late. It's a dangerous truck driver who violated truck driving rules. We were able to get the, get the settlement for the family right before trial. Right. So by FGA, you're talking about the Florida Justice Association, right? Yes, sir. You're active with them and you lecture to them and you're involved? Okay. Um, 
And for those who may not know, that is the elite trial or, lawyer organization in the state of Florida. I refer to FJA members as the special forces of the trial lawyers. So not surprisingly, you're involved in that. Also, um, um, what was I going to ask? Oh, yeah. So you, you mentioned in several examples the million, the million dollars. Is a million dollars a pretty standard coverage for an owner or operator to have at least the top layer of coverage? Well, uh, the first layer is typically the, the mandatory minimum for a tractor trailer involved in interstate commerce is 750000 but most of the carriers provide a million um, as that, at least that first layer. So aside from, you know, perhaps the two obvious defendants in a truck crash, like the owner and, and driver of uh, a rig, it's, that would be the above the iceberg number of defendants. It sounds like you could have five, six, eight, ten, multiple. How many, how many defendants do you have in a typical one of these cases um, where most of those defendants are below the iceberg? Yeah, I would say you have one to three broker shippers, uh, and then you can have hidden motor carriers. So, I mean, I would, I would probably say the minimum is going to be three defendants, up to we've had 9, 10, 11, 12 defendants, just depending on how many different companies are involved. And the way to think about it is there's a piece of freight that has to get from point A to point B, from origination to destination. There's a bunch of companies that arranged for or were involved in the transportation of that freight, and then the people that got paid for it to do that. And that's that's the transportation cycle. When you track down who all, okay, this is a $2,000 lane. Show me where that $2,000 went. Those are all the potential defendants in your case. Everybody that got a piece of that two grand. That's a lot. And those multi-defendant cases can take a long time. And I take it that many of them, there's multiple lawyers, multiple carriers, multiple headaches. True? Yeah. The, uh, the, the case management conference I just went off, I think we had nine lawyers on there. It's, you know, scheduling anything is, is no fun. These cases do take time to do them right, to investigate them right, and to prosecute them right. Uh, but when you do, you typically can get justice for the family. And just by that, I mean knowing what happened and why, making their, their loved one honored by the settlement that is obtained or going to trial and proving it. And then finally, we try and get, a as part of the settlement, a safety initiative that will prevent this from happening to anybody else's loved ones. And how often does that really happen? I mean, they can promise anything they want as part of a settlement, but just looking back, you know, how, how much of a difference uh, does that make? I mean, you can, you can only do so much on your side of it, but how many of them really take that to heart and make those changes? Um, I, enough that I can tell you between uh, me and my partners in our firms, um, we have saved hundreds, if not thousands of lives by the safety initiatives from requiring automatic emergency braking to the retraining of drivers at night to dash cameras being installed and, uh, you know, driver-facing dash cameras. We have had a lot of safety initiatives that we believe save lives every day, Russ. Well, that's wonderful. And ultimately, people can bash lawsuits and knock lawyers all they want, but the reality is that lawsuits are a big part in bringing about social and societal change, and it certainly sounds like um, that's the case here. Um, uh, so, Russ, our, our motto very simply is we're trying to litigate ourselves out of a job. We hope and pray that not another tractor-trailer crash occurs ever on the face of this earth. Uh, if, if they do occur, we hope they call board-certified trucking lawyers like us, uh, but we literally do not want these cases to happen. Right, but if it wasn't for truck accident lawyers, 
injured people would get run over again. And that's something that uh, your partner, Joe Freed, um, mentioned on the website. Do you subscribe to that as well? 100%. And that's, I mean, if you, it, the people in catastrophic trucking cases, truck crash cases, or bus crash cases, large commercial motor vehicles, if they're in catastrophic or death cases and they're, hi- they're not hiring board certified trucking lawyers, they're probably being sold short. And creating work for another type of lawyer, and that would be the malpractice lawyer for the second iteration of many of these cases, sadly. Yeah. I mean, you know, Russ, if, if I wanted to make a lot of money, I would just turn to be and do malpractice against all these lawyers advertising for trucking. They don't know what the heck they're doing. And again, in the catastrophe, I'm not talking about they can't handle like a soft tissue case, but in a catastrophic case, they don't know how to go above the million. They're settling for the million and they're never even thinking about the coverage above that. They're just taking the easy money and running instead of going for the long fight and getting the family millions and millions of dollars. A lot of those cases, you know, their referral fee, if they just send it to a lawyer like me, their little referral, they're not their little, their referral fee will be bigger than the entire settlement they're contemplating. Millions of dollars we pay out in referral fees every year. Okay. Sometimes tens of millions. <laughs> yeah. So, so Joe, um, for the listeners who don't know you as well as I do, can you please answer this? What makes you who you are? Why are you so passionate about what you do, taking on these multifaceted, multi-headache situations, these complex litigation cases that clearly aren't just for any lawyer? Well, I mean, I can I can give you two things, Russ. One is um, it's an absolute privilege to come to work every day to represent these families and to know, to try with each one of these cases to answer those three questions and to get a safety initiative that will prevent this crash from happening again from another family being impacted like this. Like the greatest, um, the greatest thing that we have here is never meeting the clients whose lives we save. That will never be a client of our law firm, right? So we're very passionate about this. One time I had this this case for this wonderful family uh, of four that was killed head on and the husband was my age. The wife was my wife's age. The kids were my exact kid's age. I was having a very hard time being emotional about the crisis, like literally crying at home, crying after depositions. I called my partner, Joe Freed, and said, Joe, how, how do we learn to do this where we can't be passionate about it, where we can't get involved, where we can turn our emotions off? And he literally said, when you figure that out, Camerlingo, I don't want to be your partner anymore. That passionate Italian that cares for your clients, that wants to kill for your clients that get killed and injured, that's who you are. That's who you need to be. And so, you know, I tell my lawyers at work here, if you're doing these cases right, every one of these cases takes a little piece of your soul with them. And so that's why we're good at what we do, Russ, because we love our clients. Um, we, we feel their pain. We spend the time to meet them, to prepare them. Um, and at the end of the case, they know they can rest at night knowing they looked everywhere. We overturned every rock, pebble, stone, anything to find more coverage for them and the, the settlement or the trial, the verdict, whatever, was all, all that could be done in that case. Well, then that's a wrap. So uh, Joe Camerlingo from the Truck Accident Law Firm, uh, 
the Truck Accident Dream Team is what you call yourselves, and it sounds like that's very well-deserved. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for your time. Tell us your website address, please, is what, if people want to reach it's you. www.truckcrashlaw.com. And some, another great lawyer in the FJA named us that. We did not call ourselves that. We did put it on the website after she said that, but uh, we were very honored that she called us the Trucking Dream Team. Well, it's a, it's a great uh, name, and it sounds like it was hard-earned and well-deserved. And I will put uh, additional contact information for you and your firm in the show notes. So that's a wrap of the Lawyer Better podcast. Uh, Joe Camerlengo, thanks again for your time, and um, we will see you next episode. Thank you, Russ. God bless.